handle the truth. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Saturday night cell block. Y'all got a glimpse of me off guard, but that's okay. It's Saturday night. Happy Super Bowl weekend, everybody. For everybody that's watching the Super Bowl this weekend, I'll be going to my father's house. Uh, please I'll be responsible this weekend. You know, there'll be a lot of cops out looking to arrest people, bring people to jail, make money off you guys. So just please enjoy the game uh, responsibly. Uh, as always, my heart and prayers goes out to those inflicted over there in Turkey um, and everywhere else around the world with everything going on. Thoughts and prayers from Thomas Freeme goes from me to you. And I hope and pray that you guys are safe and sound for tonight's show. A great show tonight. Um, I was contacted a little while ago by a lady on, on Facebook, uh, with a story, man, a crazy story. And, uh, I had to take a little bit of time to just to go back and, and look at it. And, uh, man, I wanted to bring this woman on because, because again, this is what the premise of my show is about. Um, the Thomas Freeme TV and podcast show is a platform that I've built for we, the people, for us to be able to come and talk about the corruption or, or just the, the wrongdoings that's going on in our communities that we just can't get noticed to for whatever reason. Nine times out of ten, it's because of, of corruption within our public officials. And this is why we can't get a story out on it and such. And uh, tonight I have such a show for you. So uh, tonight's show is about a <clears throat> murder suicide. So it ruled a murder suicide um, back in 2006, October 22nd. Uh, Miss Dorothy Babick and a Mr. Walter Babick, as the story goes, uh, Mr. Walter stabbed uh, his wife 63 times on the mattress in the bedroom and then went to his recliner and shot himself in the belly with a long barrel shotgun. Police came and, and uh, I guess they were trying to get a hold of the family all weekend. This was their anniversary weekend. And I guess the, the family friends were trying to get a hold of them. Nobody could get a hold of them. Then, then it was this Sunday morning that police ended up busting into the house to find this scene. Now, uh, as, as far as, as I understand, the, the one that led this investigation or had the greatest to do with this investigation was the chief of police of a, a city called Lyons, a town called Lyons in, in Chicago, south of Chicago, Illinois, somewhere around in there. I'll let my guest uh, fill in those blanks. But this individual was the one that specifically led the investigation, and this individual happened to be the son of these two individuals. The, the guest tonight is the chief of police sister <clears throat> and the second born daughter of Mr. Walter Babick and Dorothy Babick. And the sister has a different story. Um, the sister has been, been yelling that this has been a double homicide and that her brother is the murderer the chief of police. And of course, that's been swept under the rug and, and um, stories have been covered up. And uh, my guest tonight wants her voice to be heard, wants the truth to be told, 
wants wants the story to be out there of what has really happened to her parents and wants the culprit to you know to be accountable for this here for for the death of her parents so without further ado i will bring on my guest um by the name of melinda kula again she is the second born daughter of walter babick senior and dorothy babick who has been labeled as a suicide murder so bringing on our guest hello dear um first of all thank you so so very much for giving me a voice and more importantly helping me get my mother and my father closer to resting in peace because at this moment in time they're not they're absolutely not resting in peace nor can they until the truth comes out and then it's dealt with by the proper authorities Amen. Amen. So um, give us a, a, a little bit of the the story, you know, the facts of, of that day. And, 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 you know, did I get everything correct? Was I correct in everything that I said? Oh, absolutely. A- absolutely. Um, and you made it simple and clear to understand. The only thing I'd like to say before we get started, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. there are any children, if there are any children present in anybody's homes who's listening, it's really not something they're going to need to hear once we get started. So could they send them to watch TV elsewhere or go mm-hmm. to bed? This will be a graphic show, 18 plus. Yes. Thank you so much. I received a phone call. And when I received a phone call, it was nothing more than this. Go home. Everyone's trying to find you. My mother and my father are dead. Mm. And for some reason, in my in my gut, I felt immediately as if something was wrong, that I was not going to hear the truth. That was the very first impression after I heard those words, uh, your mother and your father are dead. So I thanked my oldest son for calling me. I told him, you need to stay out of this because if what I suspect happens, I need to fight by myself. I do not want my children involved. So he understood. I and my husband found out that Sunday morning, my mother and father's wedding anniversary weekend, they were found in their home. My father was missing his right leg from the knee down. They were both 75 years old. They were both seriously, seriously handicapped and disabled. My father could either sit in a very small, thin recliner because he's a small framed man, or he would scooch over into his wheelchair, which is right next door to the the recliner. My father had an artificial leg and he would wear it if he was going out with my mother to look good for my mother because even at age 75, both of them still wanted to look nice for one another. So he wore the leg, even though he was in excruciating pain, his his need to get my mother's attention was more important than the pain. And and my precious father um, had crippling rheumatoid arthritis in both his hands. And if anybody knows about arthritis, his hands were clenched like this. They were he couldn't open them. That's very important. That's extremely important. When. My firstborn sister, Diane, who's now deceased, she arrived 
my brother Walter, the roofer, arrived at the house. But they found it odd that the Lyons, Illinois authorities were there. Daniel Babbage, the youngest of seven, is the police chief for the Lyons, Illinois Police Department, the neighboring police department out of jurisdiction. The mm -hmm. ambulance is there. Nobody can enter the building. Someone contacted, but not Daniel, someone contacted in jurisdiction the McCook, Illinois police chief and said, you better get over here. Something's gone wrong at the Babbage house. But Daniel Babbage is in charge, except it's his parents. McCook police chief came. That was uh, Chief Walter, Chief Wolf. I'm sorry, Chief Wolf. And apparently I found out um, through a friendship that Chief Wolf suspected something was wrong from the very beginning. So he asked his internal affairs officer to show up without his uniform. Just hang around and listen. What was the suspicion? He, he felt like because Daniel knew protocol, call him first. He was only a block and a half away. When I say block and a half, I mean a very short, short couple of houses away. If mom and dad is here, you go across the street and behind that house is the police department. Mm. So if you could cut through the yard of the house across the street, you're at the police department. That's how close the police department in-house is. McCook, Illinois police chief was literally cut through the yard on the other side of the street. So he's wondering why did police chief Daniel Babbage call his people in Lyons, Illinois, his commander, Commander Karatko, but he'd been at the McCook Police Department multiple times. Why didn't he call in jurisdiction Police Chief Wolf? Why didn't he call him? He could have walked over, cut through the yard, hopped the fence, there's the police department. He didn't do that. He made sure his people were there. He made sure his loyalty was there. And this is what he said when the ambulance showed up and the emergency crew showed up. Here was the police chief, their youngest son's words. Listen carefully to these words. It's the first lie, but it's the first lie that set the tone for everything else that followed. He is out there in the front on the porch, and he said to everybody that was there, his police officers, the emergency crew, that sort of thing, ambulances. He said, my father killed my mother and then himself. My father killed my mother and then himself. So Danny put it out there right away. Danny set the stage that this was a murder-suicide. But it wasn't. Was this, was this before the, the, was like before the coroner or anybody else got there? Yes. The medical examiner, anybody? Yes. Yes. Because he said those words to his own police officers, they were there. Mm -hmm. They were there, all of them, including Daniel, out of jurisdiction. The others came because who had jurisdiction. The McCook police came because one of the neighbors said, there's a problem. Lots of people are here, but none of your people are here. You need to get over here. Well, here comes Chief Wolf, a man in plain clothing. That was his internal affairs officer, McCook's internal affairs officer. Under the instructions of Chief Wolf, who suspected something was very wrong here, 
He said, go plain clothes. Just pay attention to what you hear. Listen to everybody. Pay attention to the kids, meaning Chief Daniel Babbage, my brother Walter. Nobody was else. Nobody else in the family, adult children, were there yet. So this man is just wandering around and hanging around Danny and hanging around Walter and just listening. That's all he was told to do. All of a sudden, he went to Daniel, and now he's showing his colors. The McCook Internal Affairs in plain clothes said to Daniel, Chief, and I, no, he didn't call him Chief. He said, Daniel Babbage, because he's treating him like a suspect. All the adult children, no matter where they were, there were seven of us. Danny's one. Walter, my brother, the roofer, is two. I'm number three. My sister Patty's dead. She's number four. My sister Barbara was in southern Illinois. My sister Diana, the firstborn, she was in Bolingbrook, Illinois. The only two that were available were the ones that were already there. Because when my sister, who always speaks to my mother every single night, the firstborn, Diane, if mom didn't answer the phone call, she would call Walter. Get over there and make sure they're all right. Make sure nothing's wrong. But she knew this was their wedding anniversary weekend. She knew my mother and father were going to go to the casino. They were going to watch a show. They were going to have a nice dinner. They were going to bet the nickel machines. They only spend $20. And then when that's gone, they come home. Big spenders. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Babbage. This is important. This tells me premeditated murder. Danny hadn't spoken to my mother and father in over two years. They were estranged. The reason why they were estranged is Daniel asked for a loan from my parents to buy a house. They said, we would love to help you. We cannot. We're on a fixed income. The second thing that Danny asked them to do quietly, he said, I can't stand living with my, my wife or my mother-in-law any longer. It's the mother-in-law's house. I always thought it was Daniel's house. He said, so I want to get a divorce. He asked my mother and father to assist him so that he could get custody of the children. My mother said, we're Catholics. You go see a priest. You go see a counselor. But whatever's, whatever's wrong in your marriage, fix it. You have children. So they refused. When they refused, they put the first nail in their coffin because Daniel felt betrayed. Now, is this, was this like a conversation that was going on within the family? Yes. About well, so all, the whole family knew about what was going on. Uh, I certainly did. My husband did because. Uh, well, let's back up. There's a third reason. There's a third reason. Uh, Daniel is a very prideful person. Uh, according to the Bible, seven deadly sins. The worst one is pride because there's no cure for it. Hmm. So Amen. Daniel, see exactly. I mean, it's being in the Bible. It says the one that doesn't have a cure for it is pride. So Daniel was asked by my mother and father, since he's a police chief of the neighboring town 17 minutes away, it's hard for us to get up and down. Mom could barely, barely shuffle her feet if she could move at all. But she liked to fix things and, and make things downstairs, and downstairs was the laundry room. But it was 15 very narrow steps. So my mother simply said, we're too old, we're too crippled up to get back up those steps, those very narrow, dangerous steps, if we need to, would you mind building us a small, just a small, tiny little toilet and a little shower in case daddy has an accident? Um, and that happened a lot with that uh, that leg missing. He had uh, phantom pain, which would cause him other problems. So just, would you do that? You know, the rest of the kids can't, they're, they're not around, they're not even in the state. So would you do that? You have more open time. And he said, yes. 
But here comes the third reason. He insisted, now he's the, he's an adult male, he's the police chief, but he insisted and he has his own money and his wife was a nurse, so she has her money and they live with the mother-in-law, so the mother-in-law is really carrying both of them. But he insisted that my mother and my father, and here's the third stone that was in my parents' coffin. He said, uh, I will do that for you. I have open time. I can come and go as a police chief anytime I want to. But I want you to give me money for material and money for labor. Not someone else's labor. No, no, no. This police chief slash youngest son wanted my mother and my father, our parents, to pay for his labor to put in this small little toilet and this little shower, just a simple shower stall so daddy can step in there, shower if he has an accident or she does. And the laundry room was down there, so clean clothes was hanging where they needed it to. My mother was hurt. My father was angry, but my mother was hurt. You mean to tell me you're my son and we've helped you throughout your entire life as we have all our children and you're going to charge me for labor for your time to do something for your mom and dad. That's how my brother is. My brother's the same way. Oh, see, then you know what I'm talking about. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. And didn't that hurt your parents? Wouldn't that have hurt your parents? Absolutely. No question. Well, my mom, though, had a part of her spirit that wanted to make sure that she was not being mm, overly sensitive or unjustly judgmental of her having to pay him for labor. So my mother called her sister, Auntie Catherine, and said, listen, sis, this is the short of it. Am I wrong in feeling hurt that I have to pay my son labor? M material, I understand. I get that. But labor, really? And Auntie Catherine said a few nasty words toward my brother, and that was the end of it, my mother thought. But Auntie Catherine called my brother up and re reamed him, but good. Embarrassed him, humiliated him, demeaned him. That's your mother and your father. What, have you lost your marbles? So then my mother, not knowing this, my mother called her two best friends, Kay and Catherine, but they've been friends as long as I'm alive. And she said to each of them separately the same thing. She wanted to make sure she was not being um, too sensitive and therefore just let it go. But both her two friends said the same exact thing that Auntie Catherine said, her sister, that you've taken care of your seven children their entire lives. You, you think he can't do this for you out of love? So that caused humiliation to Daniel, which was far worse in Daniel's eyes than him being denied a loan for the house and him being denied cooperation from my parents for them to assist him in divorcing his wife and therefore getting away from the wife and the mother-in-law and raising the two children separately, two little girls, away from these two women. My mother said, your wife is a good mother. Your mother-in-law is a great-grandmother. If you're having personal issues, just sit and talk to them. But they said, no, we're not going to help you. I went there Easter before they were murdered. That's only six months difference. And when I went there, it was pouring rain. My brother, this is how I knew they were estranged. My brother, Police Chief Daniel Babbage, knocked on the door. I'm there six months earlier, Easter. And he said, step outside. I want to talk to you. It's pouring rain. It's freezing cold. And it's dark outside. Daniel asked you to step outside. Daniel asked me to step outside. 
Mm-hmm. My husband is inside sitting, talking to my mother and my father, and he didn't feel comfortable with this either. So he mm-hmm. offered to come with me. He said, no, I only want to speak to my sister. So my husband's like, okay, but let's keep that door cracked a little bit. So we mm-hmm. went under the overhang in the garage and we're still outside and it's pouring rain and it's freezing cold. And he said to me, I need your help with something. I said, what is it? And why aren't we in the house? Why aren't we talking at the kitchen table if you need a little silence or a little away from mom and dad? They can't get around. They're not going to get in that kitchen being nosy. So he said, no, outside. He wouldn't even go in to say hello to them. That's why he knew something was wrong. And so I said, all right, I'm out here. What do you want to tell me? He said, listen, I want to divorce Carmen. I want to take my two daughters before they have a chance to grow up to be like the two blankety blank blanks that I have to live with. He was referring to his wife. And he was referring to his mother-in-law. He said, I do not want, there is still time so that these two little girls, my daughters, do not turn out like those two women. And I said, "Um, so you want me to do what? I want you to help me get a divorce. Now, I don't know if he was asking me down the road to lie for him because nothing else made sense. So I said to him, listen, same thing my mother said. We're Catholics. You turn around and go speak to your priest. Whoever married you, you you go get a counselor, you go speak to your best friend who will see both sides to things and tell you the truth of what you need to do to straighten this out. I don't care what you have to do, but I will not. And if you ask my older sister, Diana, she will not. And she'll have a lot uh, more harsh words for you, even thinking of it. Get over whatever your problem is, go home and fix it. But the answer is absolutely not. When that happened... When that happened, I did not realize I became, in his eyes, a traitor, just like my mother and father did. You don't want to help me divorce that woman and get away from those two women. You care for them more than you do me. I'm not sure which situation was worse. So in the meantime, mm. there's, three, there's three strikes against my mother and my father. When he left that day, I have no doubt in my mind, he hated both of them and he hated me. He wrote everybody off. He wrote us all off. And you know what? That's okay. It is what it is. However, this was in April. Something else happened in April. This is so important. Daniel did return to the home. He returned to the home shortly thereafter because... Around Easter, a little before Easter, a little after, there's only a few days in there. At some point, my father, because my father uh, was on all kinds of medicine for the, the phantom pain in his leg, for the crippling rheumatoid arthritis, and for a heart condition, I, I, he looked like a pharmacy, his medicine and my mother's as well. So Daniel came to the house because mom said dad left. And we don't know where he's at. You know how sometimes elders wander? Mm -hmm. Dad put his leg on. Dad grabbed a few things in a bag, shirt and pants. And dad wandered. Dad left. So now everybody's looking for my father. My brother always wanted my father's entire gun collection. The gun collection includes pistols when he was much, much younger. And shotguns when he used to go hunting 20, 30 years ago. But that all ended 
for the last 30 years and they've been all sitting together as a collection for the purpose of giving them to each of his sons, each of his grandsons. My mother had 10 rings, one on each finger for the purpose of giving one to each of her daughters, then each of her granddaughters or daughter-in-laws, whoever wanted them. Those were considered family heirlooms, the gun collection and the ring collection. I know I bought two of the rings. My father bought two rings. Oh my God. But anything for her, anything for both of them. So Daniel always coveted that gun collection. Danny turned around and Danny used the opportunity because he's asked for that gun collection for years, the entire collection. He did not want anybody else to have any of those pieces, pistol or shotguns or hunting guns or whatever. He wanted the entire gun collection. So now daddy wanders. They have to find my father. That was filmed somewhere that they found him by Brookfield Zoo. That's his favorite place to go when he was younger. So his mind, he went back to his favorite place to go when mom and dad would walk the kids and let us get exercise. Seven children, where do you take them? You take them to the zoo. They all stay together. Mm. Easier, easier to keep control of us. So daddy wandered over to Brookfield Zoo. That's where he was sitting on a bench. Daniel went back to my mother and said to my mother, because nobody's here and people can come and go. And now at the moment you're by yourself because we don't, we don't know where dad is. You need to let me have the gun collection. I need to remove all of it from your house to my vehicle, to my house under lock and key. And my mom said, you know, those are family heirlooms from dad and he's not going to be happy about it. But somebody can break in and use the weapons against you. You really need to let me take charge of the gun collection. He browbeat her until she said yes. When she said yes, my sister, the oldest one, Diane, came over to help wash my mother's floors for her because my mother couldn't and to do the dishes and cook them a nice meal and then go out and look for my father because the local police were already doing that. When Diana was there and Danny was there with my mom and they're discussing aggressively about Daniel taking the entire gun collection, my sister heard all of it. And my my sister, like mom saying, well, what do you think? What do you think? I'm here to wash the floor. That's between you two. Mm-hmm. She finally gave in. She gave Daniel the entire gun collection. Diana was there, saw him, Daniel Babbage, as police chief in police chief uniform with his squad car out in front already ready the trunk was open so my sister stopped and watched him come and go three different times he took the ones that were in there the shotguns that were in the casing he took those first and put them in the trunk of his squad car then he went and took the loose ones wrapped blankets around them so nobody really could see what they were but my mother and my sister knew put those in the squad car then he said are there any more of his gun collection anywhere And she said, well, look on the floor of where you found the shotguns and the other hunting guns, because you'll probably find the pistols. So he found them. That was the third trip. He put those in the back of the car. He said, are you sure daddy doesn't have them like in a storage shed or or in the drawer cabinet, any place in case somebody comes, he's in the wheelchair or he's in his recliner and can't defend the two of you. Maybe there's one in the drawer where he was sitting. And this, th- and this was going on when? This happened during Easter six Easter. months before. Okay. So now, this is, Easter. 
this is very important because when Daniel, according to an FBI agent that I spoke to from Illinois, he said to me, listen, you need to remember something. When Daniel took charge of the entire gun collection, Daniel became the new owner who had custody, care, and control of the entire gun collection. He put them all in his trunk, police car trunk, so he wouldn't get stopped. If he did get stopped, he's a police chief who's going to question his police chief. Mm-hmm. He took them to his home to join them with his own collection under lock and key because he had two little girls. So that everything was under lock and key in Daniel's home. That's also important. So he said, now what that means to lay people like me, what that means is if any one of those weapons now in his possession, he's the new owner, he should have registered them. I'm guessing he did not. But now if any one of those weapons that originally belonged to my father, but now belong to Daniel, Chief Daniel Babbage, are involved in an, an accident or stolen and used in the commission of a crime, Daniel's responsible, not Walter Babbage Sr. No, mm-hmm. no, no. Daniel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here comes their wedding anniversary a week or a couple days. I'm not sure which. I only know it's just before the wedding anniversary. This goes to premeditated murder. Daniel called up my mother. Dad was sitting in his recliner. He could hear because my brother was very loud and aggressive. It was almost like you were getting the third degree and you were sitting in some little police chief chair in his little office and he was hammering her with questions. This is your wedding anniversary weekend coming up. What are you doing on Friday? What are you doing Friday morning, Friday afternoon, Friday evening? Who's coming over? Anybody coming over? What are you doing on Saturday morning, afternoon, evening? Who's going with you? Who's going to meet you at the casino? Anybody? Is Lynn coming in from New Jersey? Myself. Is is Tom and Lynn coming in? Is, is Diana supposed to stop by and help you with something or go out to eat with you? And he went through the whole rigmarole of all the sisters and brothers. Is anybody going to be over? Uh, who, anybody- who, who, who was he grilling? My mother. He was grilling my so this mother. is so this is the first time that he's talked to your mother since Easter. Yes. Okay. Yes, and he wants to know every detail, minute detail of. Did he just day. he just popped up out of the blue, came to the house, and started at phone call. like no, phone, call. phone? Okay, so there's so, proof. There's okay, proof, right? Proof mm. that phone call that he made that she received. Okay, there's proof that that phone call took place. Whatever was said, there is no proof, except mom felt very, very uneasy, uneasy, like something stuck in her throat. And she felt like she was in danger because Mm -hmm. of the way he was with her and Mm -hmm. grilling her. So So my mother contacted, once again, her sister and her two best friends. When she contacted her friend, Grace, who's been my mother's friend since I was three years old, Auntie Grace said, you know, I don't feel good about that phone call. I feel like you're being set up for something. My mother said the same thing. My mother told Auntie Grace, I I just feel like I'm in danger. I feel like dad and I are in danger. I feel like something's wrong. That phone call, I mean, he wanted to know every 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 quarter of our hour, all three days during the entire wedding anniversary weekend. And he wasn't a part of any of it. And she said, so I I, I just gave in. I answered his questions and then he hung up. So Not only know. that, but out of the blue after six months. Exactly. He got those guns and daddy came back. They found daddy sitting there in front of Brookfield Zoo in, in, in a, a state of um, confusion. 
confusion, mm -hmm. I guess. So while daddy's at the hospital being checked and making sure he's okay and seeing what meds he forgot to take and, and doing blood work and all of that, he's back at the house. Dan, don't forget, this is back April. This is back April. During that period when my father is in the hospital being checked out, they found him in front of Brookfield Zoo, that's when Danny collected all the weapons. Before my father was brought back home because my my father would snap out of it and my father would say, where are you going with those guns? Hmm. What, what have I always told you? They're heirlooms for everybody, not just for you. He did this in the period of time that the officers found him in front of Brookfield Zoo. They sent him to the hospital. While he's at the hospital, Danny's at the house collecting all the weapons. Because Danny, at that moment in time, says, oh, he's okay. We're having him checked out. But you know what? We've got to get these things out of here. He knew he only had a short window of time. Because when Daddy came home mm -hmm. and Daddy was back to his senses, that Daddy would never have allowed those guns to disappear from the house. Well, I mean, as, as plausible for me and my mindset and, and, and how it's been through my life is if if I'm planning on this, if I'm if I'm planning on taking my parents out, I'm looking for any window of opportunity. So if I know that my father has an opportunity, because if I'm going to get this gun collection and I know that my father has a tendency of walking off, I'm just waiting. I have everything prepared for that moment because I know that it's coming. And as soon as it comes, I jump on it. Yes, and that's what he did. But what happened, remember, now time has come and gone. Remember my mother asked for, he's got the gun collection. This is a good time to get his cooperation. Daniel, would you please build the bathroom downstairs? Danny is saying to her and my father, you need to give me money for material and for labor. That started that little that little back and forth nonsense going on. My father and my mother, Danny was upset because he's always having to wait for them, make sure they're home. So my mother and father agreed to give him a house key. Only mm. Daniel. Because if I and my husband and my children would come from New Jersey, I would call up and I would say, hi, how are you? We're going to be there in a day or two. Is it okay? Can we stay a week, help you out, do whatever you need? And they would know we were coming. And I would call them when we were a couple blocks away just to just unlock the door. We'll let ourselves in. So I didn't need a key. My sister, right. Diane in Bolingbrook, Illinois, would do the same thing. Hi, Mom, you need your floor washed today. You need the dishes done. How about let me take you out to eat? And I'll be there in 45 minutes. So she didn't need a key. Right. I don't, have a, I don't have a key to my parents' house. But my children don't have a key to my house. I have three adult children. But Daniel did. Daniel did. And we all knew Daniel had a key to the house. Now, remember that. Daniel had a key. And you know what? In, in, in most circles... You would expect adult children to have keys to their parents' home. So why should that be so strange? Am I right? Why should that be so strange? I, I, I don't know. I, 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 um, maybe, I guess, if, if, if the parent was somewhat dependent on the child for a certain aspect, but I think in, normal, in normalcy, if, if both parents are fully functionable, why would the child need a key? You know, to, to the home if they have their own home. You know what I mean? If they're not fluently coming in and out of the house, what do they need a key for? Well, Daniel needed the key because mom and dad asked him to build a little basement toilet. So that's so, understandable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And mm -hmm. common sense. 
we don't want you to have to wait for us because we really want you to hurry up and build that toilet. So they would make it as easy as possible by giving him the key and trusting he could come and go whenever he had 15 minutes here, a couple hours there, et cetera. So, okay, we all knew Danny was the only one. My mother even, she's so sweet about not hurting anybody's feelings. She called up the other children and adult children. She said, listen, don't, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. You, none of you have keys, but the only reason why he has it is because he's building the bathroom. So we don't want you to feel hurt or, or you know, where's my key? You know, siblings can do that. And we said, no, 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 we get it. We get it. So now Danny has a key. Danny has my mother and father's gun collection. And Danny's angry about three things. You didn't give me the loan so I could buy my own house. You tell everybody I'm shit for brains, basically, because I asked you for labor and material. And you would not, here's the bigger one, you would not help me get rid of those two women, my wife and my mother-in-law, out of my life. That was the worst of it, I think. And I know because I was in dog doo-doo with him for the very same reason. Okay, now we get the phone call. They're dead. They were found in their home on Sunday, the last day of their anniversary weekend. Now chaos has hit from all directions. Mm. Who is standing there in the front of the house announcing to his police officers out of jurisdiction, the Lions, Illinois police officer, including his, I guess you call a commander, next in line to be the police chief, Commander Karatko. Commander Karatko standing right by my brother's side while my brother's announcing dad killed mom and then himself. Murder-suicide. Oh, poor me. As in poor Daniel. Not poor mom and dad. Poor Daniel. So a neighbor contacted, and this is going on for about a half hour, all of the confusion of his police, the the fire department, the the ambulance, and all of that. They're all coming in because Daniel is the one bringing everybody in. He's bringing everybody in who's loyal to Daniel. A neighbor contacts the local police who have jurisdiction and turns around and tells him, you need to get some people over here. Something's wrong with Mr. and Mrs. Babbage. And the son is taking charge of everything. Isn't that your job? So the police chief, Wolf, from McCook Police Department, a block and a half away, if you go around the block, if you cut through the block, it's just on the other side. Chief Wolf comes in, his internal affairs officer is plain closed, and Chief Wolf is like, why didn't you call me? He's angry. Chief Wolf is damn angry. Because why this is you- this is his his case, right? Essentially. Yes. It's his jurisdiction. It's his, his jurisdiction, right. And he knows my mother and father personally. Chief Wolf knows them personally because my mother was always a floral designer. So mm. she would drop all floral arrangements for the front because she thought it looked drab. And she would get floral arrangements for them to just kind of spruce it up for when the people would come and see the police. That would that would make them smile a little bit or certainly soften the experience. That was what my mother and father did for everybody. Bless her so Chief, oh, yes. And so Chief Wolf is there. He's darn angry. My jurisdiction. Daniel Babbage, why didn't you call me? You've been at my police department. You know I'm on the other side of that block. Why didn't you call me? What are your men doing here? Why aren't my men here? You are nothing more than a suspect, just like all the other siblings are. You Mm. need to be treated as a suspect until your alibi has been cleared. And every one of the other six children, because he was one of them. And so Daniel's being real quiet. Danny's not answering him. 
not even to why did you not call me first? You know where I am. You know I have jurisdiction. You know you don't be long in charge of this. So now the police chief is bringing his people in. The police chief called his emergency team. But guess what? Nobody can go in the house. Mom and dad are dead. Dad has got two shotguns to his abdomen. We, we, we know there's one, but there were two guns, two shotguns. So in the crime scene photos, because two shotguns were there, the oldest and most worn of the collection, it was assumed, this is so important, it was assumed by everybody. Mom was shot in the back right shoulder area right here because the damage, she was not clothed. It's like somebody caught her coming out of the shower or caught her going into the shower. But that whole shoulder, just the shoulder, was caked blood. So you didn't know what was underneath. My father was fully clothed, meaning he did not feel comfortable going to bed yet. He did, Something was wrong that he stayed dressed and he stayed in his recliner watching the door. Something was wrong and my father knew it. Mom just said, I'm getting cleaned up. I'm going to go to bed. You stay up if you want. That is the way the two of them are. But something was wrong that my father didn't join my mother. And so mom is found on the bed, flat down. Please understand this. My mother looked like Liz Taylor when she was young and they fell in love. But because of all the health issues and raising seven children and the neighborhood children, mom, and with no disrespect, please, mom, if you're listening, mom blossomed to 400 pounds. So she could barely shuffle her feet, let alone anything else. My beloved father was a tiny, small-framed male who was absolutely devoted to my mother. So even with that missing leg, he had a, a grabber, you know, on the pole, and it's got the mm. little fork. He mm. would use that to knock over a cereal box so he can then pick it up and give it to her or make her something. Or They, they always did for one another. In, in their disability, they made it work. They made it work. Yeah, they figured it out. They, they figured it out. So the grabber, if you can imagine, Daddy is in his recliner, his little recliner. The grabber is behind him. You could see it. He could just reach back and get it if he needed to push up the phone closer to mom or whatever. But right next to his recliner is uh, the wheelchair. And his artificial leg is between the two on the floor, if you can imagine that. So everything that dad needs is right there. Mom is in the second recliner where she can see him. It's facing him, even though the TV's where they both can see it, opposite wall. Her chair was always facing him, mm -hmm. and, and and that's the love they had for one another. He was more important to her than the TV. So we, we now know mom is laid down. Somebody sat on my mother. Somebody sat on my mother to force her to stay down on her stomach. Well, she couldn't do much even if she wanted to. And stabbed the corner, this corner. I'll show you in the front, just this corner, but in the back, 63 times. They didn't just stab her with a big knife. They chose a very special knife that only the family members would know how important that knife was. It was a very small, old, 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 from my grandfather, paring knife, double-edged, serrated. So the blade was only so long, and you used it for grapefruit and that sort of thing. 
and it was my grandfather's my father's father's and it was always in the drawer we we loved seeing it there he lived with us for many years it always made us think of him that's why it was always there and in that drawer there were butcher knives and ham knives and steak knives but that's not what was grabbed in that same drawer it was a small double serrated paring knife first of all they according to the medical examiner and i'll tell you her exact words your mother and your father died long lingering painful excruciating painful deaths someone not only did overkill on both of them someone made them suffer for a long period of time wanted them long, to suffer yeah long drawn out pain and she she thought when she first saw my mother she thought because of the blood coagulating the way it did and she saw two shotguns she thought one was used on my mother one was used on my father that's what she thought and then they took my father and my mother away from the house it wasn't until monday when she was doing the autopsy on my mother first that she realized oh my god oh my god she washed my mother it was 9 20 when she started 9 20 a.m she washed on my mother and she said oh my god this is not a shotgun wound these are stab wounds and she had to count each and every one and when she examined the stab wounds she realized it was from a small serrated double-edged paring knife someone did not want to stab her too deep they did not want that because if they hit the wrong vein she would bleed out and she would not endure the 63 stab wounds they did not want that they wanted her to finish the first the second feel the 63rd as much as she did the first and as she went in and out of the medical examiner a woman explained to me as she went in and out of consciousness that person may have stopped and waited for her to come back mm -hmm. and then do it again and proceed to the 63rd stab wound 63 is a very important number then my my father the shotgun was laying alongside his recliner as if somebody neatly placed it there so nobody would trip over it nobody would kick it nobody would damage it you know like daniel babich who appreciates the value of gun collections mm. and wanted these very old weapons but in april he had them at his house in april he had the control and custody of that entire gun collection how come now october 22nd 2006 six months later two of them from that collection found their way back into my mom and dad's house how did that one shotgun get laid very neatly next to my father's recliner in between the wheelchair and the recliner so nobody would step on it so nobody would kick it and supposedly that was used against my father the medical examiner said to me your father had not one he had two shotgun holes in his abdomen and what she could gather from the entry of the wounds somebody stood in front of him and shot him once he's trying to get up to get to the recliner to get to his wife which is how he got the side shot also still landing in the abdomen area two that's where he made his mistake if he would not have shot my father twice 
nobody would believe that anybody killed my father except himself. Nobody would believe it. But because as, as the dear Lord, I thank him every day for that second wound. And it may sound weird, but it's the only way that we can say that this 75-year-old man with crippling RA in both his hands, missing his right leg, could not have shot himself once, let alone twice. Could not. But Daniel Babich and Chief Wolf, now Chief Wolf, two police chiefs, McCook, Illinois, Lyons, Illinois, are joining forces. Now they are all lying about what happened to Walter and Dorothy Babbage. Why are they lying? I'll tell you why. Because when they originally heard from Daniel, dad killed mom and then himself. And now McCook police, who has jurisdiction, are in the house. They are giving Daniel sympathy and supporting him because they don't realize they're talking to the killer of his mother and father. They think they're just talking to the youngest son who just lost his mother and just lost his father. So I do understand that. I do understand that. So they didn't do the GSR on my father's hands. They would have had to force them open in order to do a GSR, gunshot residue. Mm -hmm. But they didn't do that. They should have. Because you claim he shot himself once and then you claim again. Well, if it's a long barrel shotgun, one first and foremost, going back to Kurt Cobain, the whole Kurt Cobain discussion about his suicide and and how how plausible was it that a person can commit suicide with a with a, with a long range shot? Now, this wasn't a double barrel, right? So, like a double barrel shoots two rounds at once. Mm-hmm. Was that yep. the type of shotgun? This was just a regular. Was it a pump action or a single shot? Do you know? The pump action is where you got to. No, it wasn't that. It and was so one you got to break it open and then put another shell into it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a gun expert was called in on the scene because something looked wrong about the shotgun. And I'll tell you what I heard and you tell me what that means. Mm. He said that the shell was up and outside shell was up and outside not where it should have been if he shot himself. Does that make sense? Not only that is the trigger had a trigger guard around it. The trigger had a trigger guard around it because what they tried to say, they tried to say that my father used the uh, grabber mm. to hit the trigger to shoot himself in the abdomen. And mm. they thought they were going to get away with it, except only one person knew he was shot twice, the killer. And the medical examiner was not going to find that out until after the noon hour the very next day. So only two, at the end of her work, only two people then knew the murderer that he was shot twice and the medical examiner, but not till the end of the day because she took all morning to work on my mother. So so she said, This is this is this is really important. This will cement it. My sister in her hysterics, my older sister, Diane, she's a very controlled person. Yes, she's hysterical. Yes, I lost mom. Yes, I lost dad. I have a feeling Daniel had something to do with it because during the time she was found and brought to mom and dad's house, hmm. our brother Walter Jr. was there. He's like a, a bodybuilder, very quiet, says nothing, but he's there when you need him. 
So he held my older sister and held her because she wanted to go in. She wanted to see mom and dad. She had to see with her own eyes. Are they alive? Are they not alive? I need to see. I'm the firstborn. I'm the one that always looks out for them. Daniel turned around and said, if you go in that house, I'm going to have you arrested. Hmm. That's what he said to Diane, who's in agony and in pain. If you go in that house, my men are going to have you arrested. He has no control over the case, but he's telling her that my brother, Walter, because Daniel said that police chief, Daniel Babbage told my sister that he picked up my sister and locked my sister in his truck. So she couldn't get out unless she broke a window and climbed through. He did that to keep her from being arrested in the situation becoming so much worse for her than it already was, which was pretty bad. So Daniel's now wanting to turn the attention on Diane, who is Daniel's own words. You are contaminating a crime scene. How is it a crime scene, Daniel Babbage, when you just said that dad shot mom and then himself? What kind mm -hmm. of a crime scene is that? You, you said, you told everybody what you believe happened. All this time, both police departments, they're believing those simple words from the murderer of my mother and my father. Now the police reports are starting to come in. They're starting to ask questions. And, and before everybody left, this, this uh, internal affairs from the McCook Police Department in plain clothes, He's now showing his hand as to who he really is. Daniel's walking away from the house. Daniel's walking away from my sister and did his best to stay away from her. But he also did his best and used his own men to keep her from going in the house. Why? Because my sister's smart. She would ask when she finally got in the house, why is there no powder to check for fingerprints? Why is the powder missing? <laughs> what? Who put that bloody, a whole handprint? A whole handprint like this on the side of the refrigerator. You can see it as you walk in the door because you have a clear shot between the, the living room and the kitchen. It's so who, who, who was leading the investigation? Daniel Babbage. Did he lead the whole investigation? No, because after Daniel and his officers threatened to arrest my sister, Chief Wolf is now there. His internal affairs officer is now there. It didn't take that man long, the internal affairs officer. He must have been seasoned mm -hmm. to realize something's going on here. You're attacking your sister. You have no sympathy for your sister. You're threatening to arrest your sister. When In this moment, her. right. Exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. now he don't like Daniel. So he says to Daniel, the common question, the question that should have been asked in the first place, well, he's now asking, Daniel, do you have a key to your mother and father's house? Do you know what my brother did? My brother kept walking away from that man. So from Wolf, that, yeah. Yes, and he said it again. And now he's louder and he's a little bit, um, he's been disrespected. Forceful, yeah. And men don't like that. Mm. Hey, Daniel. He didn't call him Chief Babbage. Chief Daniel Babbage. He called him Daniel. You mm. are a adult child. You are a suspect. So that's where you your category is. So he said, hey, Daniel, I'm talking to you. Do you have a key to your parents' home? Daniel walked away further. Daniel ignored him a third time. Now this man is, is mind-blowing angry. And he said, hey, Daniel Babbage, don't let me find out that you have a key to your parents' home. Daniel still wouldn't turn around. Daniel still didn't stop walking. And he just yelled back to him over his shoulder, I don't.
mm-hmm. and kept on walking because Daniel didn't want him to read his face. Sure, Daniel, right. am, am I right? Facial expression, body language. Of course, yeah, because you know this 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 wolf guy is a, a trained a, official himself, you know. So, so this so wolf takes over the investigation, and and where does that lead to? Did they obviously stick with the 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 suicide murder, right? At this moment, yes. But what happened? A neighbor, a witness, contacted police chief Wolf or investigator Browder from Chief Wolf's department, police department, and said, you should know Daniel Babich was in his parents' home for at least two hours, two hours before his own police showed up Mm. and before certainly your police showed up. What was he doing in that house for two hours before the emergency team showed up, the police department, his police department showed up? What was he doing? Well, that all got hidden. That information was buried. That Daniel was in that house for two hours. This is before my sister Diana got no answer from mom and sent my brother Walter over. So this is the wee hours of the morning. Daniel is in our parents' home for two hours. And then Daniel left. Where he went, I don't know. Then my sister's calling Monday morning, Sunday morning. Mom and dad should be home. Even if they're sleeping late, they should answer the phone. And she kept calling every half hour, every half hour. Finally, she called my brother, Walter. This is Sunday morning. Walter, go over to mom and dad's house. They're not answering the phone. I'm very frightened. I'm worried. Walter got off a roof. He's a roofer. He owns a couple roofing companies. Walter went over there, and he's knocking on the door. He doesn't get an answer. He's trying to peek through the blinds to see if he sees something. And he could barely see, but he thought he saw my father in the recliner. So why isn't my father yelling? I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> Even if he's waking, by that time, my brother Walter's banging, banging, banging. So my brother feels like something's wrong. My brother Walter called. He's old, one year older than Daniel, two years older than Daniel. My brother Walter called police chief Daniel Babich, our youngest brother. He's only 17 minutes away. Hey, you better get over here. Something's wrong at mom and dad's house. Daniel sh- shows up. Daniel didn't say nothing about being there in the wee hours of the morning for two hours. Mm. So Walter says, I can't, I can't get them to come to the door. Do you have a key? Do you have a key? Now, remember, everybody's in panic mode, especially Walter, because he loved them dearly. And he's the one to get off a roof, even if the rain is coming, to go and get them a piece of pie and then get back on the roof. And hopefully there was no water in the property. So. He says to Daniel, he's looking at his brother, baby brother, and he knew he was building the bathroom. So he said, do you have a key to mom and dad's house? Danny says, no, I don't have a key. He said, I got to get in there. If I go in the front door, Walter's very logical. If I go in the front door, it's a bigger repair. Dad and mom are going to get mad at me if they're just there sleeping. But if I go in the side garage door, I can just pop it a little. He was Hercules. He gave it a little shoulder hit and the thing popped open. 
He said, this is an easier repair. I can get it repaired in an hour. I'll send one of my people over. So he went in, in through the garage, turned left and saw my father in the recliner. With his eyes, he knew there was blood everywhere in my father's abdomen. It was all deep red. And he saw the shotgun alongside my father's recliner next to it between the wheelchair and the recliner. So now he's thinking, where's mom? Oh my God, where's mom? So he went in the bedroom and he saw mom laying flat down and there was blood all over this area. And Daniel then said, we need to back out of the house rather than obstructing justice and, and uh, contaminating the crime scene. We need to back out of the house. So they backed out of the house. Now, here's something interesting. When people lie and they keep adding on to the lies, why did they lie in the first place about something so simple? Daniel had one of his officers come. They closed that side garage door as if my brother Walter never popped it. Mm. And he had one of Daniel's loyal out-of-jurisdiction officers take a rammer that they keep with them to pop doors open if they have to get in, especially for a fire. And he said, hit that door with that. And as far as the paperwork is concerned, you're the one that popped that door open, not Walter. And so that's what he did. He did what he was told to do. He used the rammer, battering ram, I guess it's called, and he mm -hmm. popped the door open, covering the damage my brother had already made. And my brother said, why did you do that? Why did you damage the door so much further when there's no, there's nothing wrong with me checking on mom and dad? There's nothing wrong with me popping that door and doing a little bit of damage. You did a whole lot of damage. What what was that all about? Walter didn't understand. Do you think maybe it was concealing the fact that, A, they were both in the house, but Daniel made sure Walter was first one in. So the eye is always upon the first one who discovered the body. It wasn't Daniel. He made sure it was Walter. Mm. That, that's why he didn't produce the key. He wanted Walter to find his own way in. Walter did. And then he covered that lie up. So now mom and dad are on their way uh, for Monday morning. My sister received a phone call from Daniel Babich at 9 a.m. Monday morning. She cannot contain all her pain. So she worked at a restaurant it's called The Flame. She was a cocktail waitress and, and food waitress. And she said, I have to go to work. I have to go to work. I can't, I can't just sit here and look at these walls and know I don't have a mother. I don't have a father. And, and my eyes cannot escape them both being brought out in the bags. And she said, I'm just going to go to work and I'm going to serve other people until we find out what happened to mom and dad. So she knows for a fact that this phone call came in at 9 a.m. sharp Monday morning. Mom and dad are already at the coroners as of Sunday late. Okay. The reason why it was late, hours after they had been discovered, someone, someone turned off the pilot light and filled the entire house with gas to delay by hours anybody being able to enter that house. Someone turned off the pilot light. The house was filled with gas. So... McCook, their emergency team is there, but nobody can get inside. Now, Walter and Daniel were already inside 
Walter saw dad, Walter saw mom. They both stepped back outside. They didn't do it at that moment. Walter certainly didn't do it at all. But let's just say Daniel's fingerprints are on the pilot in the lower bathroom area where he built a small bathroom in the basement. They never checked to see whose fingerprints turned off that pilot for the, the water heater in the basement. They never checked that. They never bothered asking, how did the gas fill the house at such an opportune time? How did that happen? Who did that? They didn't but they couldn't get in for hours. The medical examiner also noticed when she was on board, when she came, that my mother's body temperature was oddly warm. Not my father, rigor mortis has already set in, but she had said it was kind of odd that your mother, she was very warm. I didn't expect that based on what happened to your dad. And that makes me wonder, was mom still alive? Was she still alive? And he wasn't sure he'd killed her? Was she not yet finished with the dying process? But I'll tell you that wonderful, courageous woman did. And that is my mother anyway. She pulled a button off the shirt or jacket of her attacker. And in her dying process, she held on tight to that button to tell somebody this is who did this to the both of us. Mm. The medical examiner opened, peeled open my mother's hand in her getting ready to wash my mother. What, does she, what do you think she found in my mother's hand? A gold police chief button. Mm. It says right now, police chief. Well, there's only two police chiefs, Daniel Babich and police chief Wolf. He wasn't there. He didn't even know what happened. Who does that leave? So, in 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 this fashion, what where where is Daniel? Where's Daniel at now? He's the Westchester, Illinois police chief. So he's, he's still what? the he's still the police chief in Westchester. He was the Lyons, Illinois police chief, but when all this information came out, I contacted the Lyons, Illinois, not the police chief because that was Daniel. So I contacted, we have mayors of the towns out here in New Jersey, but in Lyons, Illinois, they have a president and then they have the committee people. So I contacted Mr. Getty, President Getty, and I said to him, you need to know that Daniel Babbage did this. And he, he said, Melinda, from the very beginning, a lot of people suspected he had something to do with this. You just confirmed our suspicions. So the only thing I can do to help you is demote him out the door. What he was really saying, because I've already spoken to a few FBI agents in my community, what he was really saying is we don't want to be a part of a civil suit, that he was a police chief here when he did this to your mother and father. That's really what he was saying. And that, but I don't know, but what I don't understand is how come there's not an investigation into it? Where's where's the federal investigation? How come the FBI is not investigating into this these allegations? I mean, if if your mother had the button in her hand of the police chief uniform and and all of these red flags to this, I don't understand how he's still the police chief. That's a very good question. And I can answer that. Um, I spoke to, we have to go back, we have to go back just a little bit and then I'll mm. answer your question. Monday morning, 
at 9 a.m., Diane is ready to go to work because she needs to be busy. She receives a phone call at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, the day after they'd been removed finally from their home. The medical examiner has both their bodies. Daniel Babich is calling Diane at 9 a.m., and his exact words were this. You need to know, in a very sarcastic, arrogant manner, you need to know mom was mom was stabbed 63 times. You need to know dad was shot twice in the abdomen with a full barrel shotgun. You need to know that so that when the medical examiner tells you that, you're not going to go into hysterics. Mm. So between now and you speak to the medical examiner, just get over your hysterics. And she said, how do you know mom was stabbed 63 times? Who would stab their mother 63 times? Who would stab an old woman who's disabled 63 times? How do you know dad was shot twice? Who told you dad was shot twice? This can't be true that they suffered like that. Now she's angry and she's hysterical. That call came in at 9 a.m. Monday morning. Diana called up work, said, I'm running a little late. I have to find something out. She made a phone call to the medical examiner and left a message. As soon as you have an opportunity, I need to speak to you about my mother and my father. I have some questions. The medical examiner did not call my sister until lunchtime. She wanted to finish my mother and then have her own lunch and then deal with my father, clean up my father, do his autopsy report. So during my sister's lunch and her lunch, they talked. And the medical examiner said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you lost both your parents in such a horrible way. How can I help you? Diana said, I received a phone call from my brother at 9 a.m. At 9 a.m. this morning, Daniel said, mom was stabbed 63 times and my our father was shot twice in the abdomen with a full barrel shotgun. Please tell me that's not true. And she said, wait a minute. You have to repeat what your brother said word for word and what time did he say it this is very important Mm -hmm. so diana said my brother called at 9 a.m i know it was 9 a.m i was getting ready to leave he has he he caused me to not leave when i needed to leave at 9 a.m so that's how come i know it was 9 a.m my brother said mom was stabbed 63 times he mentioned that specific number My brother then said dad was shot twice in the abdomen with a full barrel shotgun. He mentioned twice, not once. He specifically mentioned how he was shot, not with a pistol, but with a full barrel shotgun. And she said, and you're sure he said that at 9 a.m.? Yes. And you have no doubt that it was said at 9 a.m.? She was forcing my sister to remember the time. Mm -hmm. So then she said, I'll be with you in just a moment. And my sister heard the clicking of her heels running, boop, 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 mm-hmm. slamming open the file cabinet, slamming it shut and boop, 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 to my sister. And she said, you need to listen carefully to what I'm about to say, and you should never forget it. I did not start operating on your mother, which includes just washing her, just washing her down. 920. 9.20 a.m. Before I washed the coagulated blood off your mother, I assumed I saw two shotguns in the crime scene photo. I assumed 
your mother was shot with one, not knowing who did, did the shooting, and your father was shot with the second one. Two shotgun wounds, one to mother, one to father. There's two shotguns. I could not have imagined what I discovered once I cleaned off your mother. I counted 63 stab wounds. Why is the number 63 so, so, so significant? Well, she said this. If anyone knows why, the same question you just asked, if anyone knows why that number is so important to whoever did this, then we are going to know who the killer is. But she said something else. There's only two people at this moment that know your mother was stabbed 63 times. The killer, the killer, and myself, the medical examiner. I had to count. I cleaned and I counted. And it was a terrible experience. She's a young woman. She said, so I'm not the killer. I'm the medical examiner. How did your brother know at 9 a.m. in the morning what I myself did not know until after I cleaned her, I washed her, I prepped her, and then I counted, and I counted, and I counted some more. It takes a long time to count 63 stab wounds, is what she said to my sister. She said the same words to me. And she said, and your father, how did your brother know the extent of the wounds to your father and the fact that he wasn't shot once, he was shot twice? How did he know that? Mm. I didn't know that until I washed him off and saw two entrance wounds. But your brother told you that at 9 a.m. I didn't start working on your father until after the noon lunch at 1 o'clock. Only the murderer would know specific to the injuries of each individual, especially 63 and two shotguns. She said, I didn't know that. I'm the medical examiner. Later, it came out that her fear, she's very young. This medical examiner is very young. And she said, if this person who did this to such an extent could do this to your mother and father, what are they capable of doing to me? Mm. Me. Well, that and, and that's you know, to, to start to to wrap this up, I mean that's that's it. I mean, if if we have a potential uh homicidal maniac you know to me it sounds like daniel from the story of daniel he's this is this is an extreme narcissist you're dealing with yeah. with a with a narcissist and and i mean all the red flags of that are there from how you said uh how he was gloating in the sympathy you know and and um you know just just always being at the front of the center and and of attention and and when he wasn't he became uh irate you know these these are all these are all red flag signs of of narcissism so um if if this is if this is the case i mean we have to get this guy one accountable for what he's done but we have to get this guy off the street and out of position of power because i mean if he could do this to his own parents what is he doing to people as as the chief of police so um in the at the top of the show, you mentioned a website that people can go to to get an in-depth view of of what it is that our discussion was tonight. What is that website? It's John Benet's J O N B E N E T S True Case History dot net. Go to the far right of the menu bar to Shattered Shields, and then 
scroll to the third, which is Babbage homicide. But I'd like to leave you with one more thought. According to the FBI, if someone lays in wait, which is what he did, he had a key, he was waiting for them to come home in the wee hours of the morning, lay in wait for the purpose of burglary resulting in murder. That's a criminal offense. That's a capital crime. That's exactly what Daniel did. Daniel laid in wait. He knew they were coming home late. He hid in the house, which is probably why dad, his alarms were going. But what disappeared, what disappeared, and Danny lied about it, to both police departments, especially McCook Police Department, Investigator Browder, uh, we asked him for a theft report. Mom's 10 rings were missing. Coin collections were missing. Five different envelopes with, with 10000 to bury dad, 10000 cash to bury mom, uh, $600 to pay the bills, that sort of thing. Mom had five or $600 mad money hidden elsewhere. They all disappeared. Everything of value disappeared. You know those two hours Danny was in the house? He but was the collecting ring, it all, yeah. The 10 ring collection. So Diana and I, based on the 10 ring collection alone, forget the rest of it, the 10 ring collection. I had one of them made for my mother. It's a man's clatter ring because her hands were so large. I had it made for her. So only the jeweler would know that was his piece. So I said, I, we said, uh, investigator brought her from the McCook Police Department. We need a police report because those 10 rings are missing. And he said, I'm not giving it to you. Diane, my sister called and said, we need a, we need a theft report. Along with the murder of mom and dad. Those 10 rings are missing. They were supposed to be heirlooms for everybody. It never was about the rings as far as my sister and I were concerned. It was about the theft report because with a theft report and only with a theft report would the FBI come in and investigate because you have a break-in resulting in the murder. You have to have two things. You have to have the break-in. You have to have the murder. Somebody died. Then the FBI comes in. But they needed the theft report to prove that something was missing. We tried for three months, my sister and I, to get the theft report. Finally, Investigator Browder of the McCook Police Department called me up from his home to my home. And he said, listen, Melinda, I'm going to tell you something. Stop asking for the theft report. You're not going to get it. I heard the sound of the children, his children. They were young children. And I said, are you calling me from home? He said, yes, I am. How do you know that? And I said, because I hear your little children playing. You're not calling me from the police department because that's recorded. But at home, it's not recorded. So what do you have to say to me? He said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a damn theft report because then a whole lot of people are going to get into a lot of trouble for what they should have done and they didn't do. And we're all going to go to jail and lose our pensions. He lost his temper. When he lost his temper, he told me exactly what he was afraid of. They are going to go to jail. They cooperated in a double, double cover-up, and there's plenty of proof. One more thing. You can't say McCook did not cooperate in the cover-up. Why? Because for my phone number on the witness statements, my phone number is not my house number, Melinda Kula or Linda Kula. It's Daniel Babich's police chief phone number. So if you call that number looking to talk to me, you're it going right to that. Wait a minute. The other two witnesses, Auntie Grace and Auntie Kay, who knew that Danny had a key because mom and dad said that we gave him a key because it made things so much easier. So they knew their contact phone numbers was police chief Daniel Babich, his desk number, right to his personal desk at the police department. And my sister, her number's in Bolingbroke. Her phone number wasn't listed. Daniel Babich's, that means that McCook 
willingly participated in the cover-up of a double homicide because they were in so deep when they listened to the first lie. Have you taken this story to your local news, action news or anything? I mean, can you get an investigative reporter to maybe just go and ask him, hey, did you kill your parents or anything like that? I couldn't get any cooperation from anybody in the state of Illinois. And I, and I tell you, I went to two governors. Both of them would not help. I didn't understand why. Both of them would not give me a, a special investigator, which is what is needed. And I found out shortly thereafter why. One went to jail for corruption. And then I went and waited a little while and his replacement came in, oh, good old boy, Rod. Well, when I gave them the information, they still wouldn't help. Why? Rod ended up going to prison for trying to sell Obama's seat. So I am actually going to other devils to try and get them to help me with a murdering police chief. But they're as corrupt as the day is long. So everybody yeah, I'm going through. But, but wait, here's the answer to your question. I went to a field, I called a field office, uh, FBI field office, and I asked mm -hmm. them for a special investigator. The one gentleman I spoke to, he said, listen, I know who you are. I know the story about your mother and your father. I know about Daniel Babbage, but there's something you don't know. He's the president of the Illinois Police Chief Association, and nobody in Illinois, including one of your own governors, is going to help you with this golden cow. They actually reached out to one of my governors at the time to silence me, not help me, browbeat me, do whatever they can to intimidate me. And it's happened a lot. Police in plain clothes have come up to me and threatened me in front of my children multiple times, run me off the road, run a friend of mine off the road who was trying to help me. You see how dangerous it is when you go against a police officer? Well, these are police chiefs. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's what we do, man. We have to go against these people because it's happening all over. And, and uh, here again, you know, another story for the community to, to, to research and rally behind and get behind, you know, on the tail end of, of Tyree Nichols, what we watch the cops out there in Memphis do. Um, what we're watching cops all over the nation do is is just abuse this power that they have, that they think that they have in their mind. And, and, and technically they do have because we, the people, give them that power. So um, thank you for this wonderful story. Um, at, you know, we're, we're connected on Facebook, so I'll definitely stay in tune with that and see what we can do about trying to get some some notoriety to that some kind of some kind of way. But oh, man, what a story. But. Uh, I, I would just like to say before we part, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that this has happened to you. I'm sorry about your parents, um, you know, and uh, let's 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 try to just get the truth out there, you know. Thank you ever so much. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. And I know that your listeners, if there's anything in their power to do with phone calls, how can how can a 75 year old man with crippling RA in both his hands missing his right leg shoot himself twice? He couldn't hold a knife. So how could he stab his wife 63 times? You asked the magic question. What does that number mean? Mm -hmm. In reference to the John Bonet case, I have been reporting various addresses for Bill Ramsey. We call him the unknown Ramsey. And the last address I reported to police chief Daniel Babbage before I knew he was a murderer. So that if anything happened to me, he would know where to go to find Bill Ramsey is 63 Everett Street, 63 Everett Street. So Daniel thought by stabbing our mother, I wish to God I said one Everett Street, but I said 63. It's recorded on his police chief phone in Lyons, Illinois. That's where it is recorded. 
It's in the uh, uh, archive, as they say. Daniel thought by stabbing our mother 63 times, I would be stupid enough to think Bill Ramsey, the unknown Ramsey, did it because that was the address. And he was sending me a message back off from me, Melinda, Bill Ramsey, I'm referring to. So mm -hmm. Daniel stabbed our mother 63 times, and I would think Bill did it. I would think Bill did it. But Danny forgot about something. He had the shotguns in his house. He had owner and control and custody back in Easter, six months earlier. How did they get back into mom and dad's house? Because he had a key, because he was laying in wait, because he took all the valuables. And later, you know what? Browder tried to get information from Daniel. Where are those ring collections? Your your sisters are pushing for a, a theft report. And he even called up the wife and said, if you don't give me, if you don't give me those damn rings so I can get those girls off my back, I'll arrest you and I'll find where your husband is. And I don't care if he's a police chief. I'm going to arrest him. You know what? She came up with the ring collection. She hid them and lied about them. And Daniel lied about them for three months. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely there's definitely a lot going on that that an investigation needs to go on. But we have to wrap up. Um, I, I usually keep my guys for an hour, but this was such an intriguing story that an elaborate one at that. So we um we definitely went over them and, and we apologize for that. But um, again, thank you for coming on, and uh, Miss Melinda and and power to you. And and we'll just stay active with this. And if we got to come back on and do another show and update. We'll do that. But until then, you stay safe and God bless. God bless all of you. And thank you so much. Be well. Be thank well. you. So that's it. Again, I apologize for the for the lengthy show tonight. But, you know, sometimes that's what it's it's called for, you know, to get these these messages out. What a story. Um. Again, there's articles all online about, about this here. I will put the links. Please feel free to research on your own, see what you come up with. And if you feel that, that this is something that you'd like to get involved in, maybe you're in that area. Maybe you're dealing with this police chief as well. This is something that the community needs to rally behind. And if this guy is a murderer, he murdered his own parents. He needs to be in prison and he damn sure don't need to be the chief of police of anywhere. But... Again, my thoughts and prayers going out to Turkey. Um, bless those that are, are, are surviving that, that tumultuous earthquake out there. What uh, I did not drop at the beginning of the show, I'd like to drop now briefly. Please visit www.cominghomecoalition.com. Visit the project that, that we have got going on. Project Start Fresh. Help Eddie become self-sufficient. Um, we've taken Eddie off the street got him a job, and um, he's he's producing. We, we still have a raffle going to the end of March for Tampa Bay Rays tickets that you can sign up for and help us complete this, this program with Eddie and, and make sure that he's self-sufficient. So please, again, www.cominghomecoalition.com. And that is it. See you guys Thursday night with Demetrius Knuckles Eel and Thursday night Get Right. And until then, everybody stay safe. And if you haven't heard it anywhere else, you can always hear it from me. Thomas Freeme loves you. Power to the people, American people, we the people.